Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We are back in the Gospel of Luke. We took a little break through the Christmas season, but we're back in Luke this morning. Now, as I begin to list out some of these things, I know some of you are going to try to do them yourself, especially children. So it's okay if you do that, children. But there are just some things that are impossible for us as humans to accomplish because of physical limitations and the laws of nature. So, for example, did you know that it's impossible to fold an 8.5 by 11 paper eight times? You can only do it seven. That's as far as you can get. Trust me, I've tried it. For example, did you know it's impossible to bend your pinky without moving your ring finger? I know some of you are going to try to do that as I tell you that, okay. Do you know that it's impossible to wiggle your ears? Some of you may be able to do that. Did you know that it's impossible to lick your elbow? You can only do that if you've been blessed with short upper arm combined with an abnormally large tongue. You can't, you can't do it like that, okay. Did you know that it's impossible to swallow a spoonful of cinnamon? There's so much stuff in cinnamon, it causes an immediate gag reflex. You'll just spit it out. You can't swallow. Did you know it's impossible to break an egg holding it on its top and bottom? That's just the way that God made eggs. Did you know that it's impossible to travel at light speed? Anybody know what light speed is? Some of you science people out there, it's 874,000 times faster than the speed of sound. The fastest man-made object, the Juno spacecraft, has only traveled 295 times the speed of sound. So there's some things out there that are humanly impossible because of the laws of nature, because of physics, just because of human limitations. There are a lot of impossibilities. But if we're honest with ourselves, one of those things that's almost impossible for us to accomplish, for us to do, is to love others with a selfless, sacrificial, self-giving, unconditional type of love for the glory of God, especially to those who have hurt us in some way. So as we move back into the Gospel of Luke, we pick up where we left off a few weeks ago. Jesus is preaching the sermon to his followers. We explored the four Beatitudes. And then Jesus is going to continue his teaching and address this topic of loving others. And as I've read this passage of Scripture over the past couple weeks, and as even as I was praying through it this morning, I want us to feel the gravity, the weight of really how impossible this command is. 
It's an, it's an almost impossible command, what Jesus is commanding us to do, to love this type of way. So, let's read this almost impossible command. Luke chapter 6, let's pick up in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love, can we bring the, are the house lights all the way up? I need to, there, I, I, now I can see. Okay, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let's get our bearings straight, because we've not been in Luke for a few weeks. Back before we started Christmas, we looked at the four Beatitudes. And these were blessings that Jesus pronounced upon His followers. The Beatitudes were not things that we're commanded to do in order to earn God's favor. These are blessings that Jesus pronounces upon us in His sovereign grace that He showered us with. So the Beatitudes are not commands, they're, they're blessings that Jesus gives us. Now we come to where Jesus actually begins for the very first time to give commands in this sermon. And He gives four of them. And if you study the original language, they're all in what we call the present active. They're in the present tense. That's very important because what that means is these are activities we're supposed to do on an ongoing basis. Continuous action. Lifestyle type of loving. So what does Jesus radically, impossibly command us to do as a lifestyle on an ongoing basis. What are these four commands? Well, let's just look at it. Verse 27, But I say to you who hear, here's command number one, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now this would have been radical even to Jesus' original audience because you go back to the Old Testament and we know we're supposed to love. Now what does the Old Testament tell us? Leviticus 19.18 you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, all the way back in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to love others. But back then, it was love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love a fellow Israelite. But Jesus here takes it a step further and says, no, not just love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Love your enemies enemies. Remember the fourth blessing, the fourth beatitude? If you go back to chapter 6, verse 27, 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. When people hate you, when you're the target of hostility, when, when people ridicule you, when you're somebody else's enemy, when you're mistreated. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Jesus' point is that when you begin to live out your faith and you begin to demonstrate what it means to truly be a Christian, stand up for truth, live for Christ, you're going to be the target of hostility. You may make enemies. There may be people that come against you for no other reason than just that you name the name of Christ, that you are a Christian. And so Jesus here tells us, love your enemies. Now what kind of love? What kind of love? You know, there's four words for love in that ancient language. Very interesting. There's four Greek words for love. The first Greek word for love is what we call storge. It's a natural, natural affection that a family member would have for another family member. So, for example, the way a brother would love a sister or a mom would love her child. It's, it's a natural affection. You don't have to be a Christian to, to have this type of love. It's a natural affection. Okay. The second type of love is the word eros. Eros. This is more of a romantic type love. It's often involved infatuation, sometimes lust. It's more of a romantic type love. And then there's a third word. This is sometimes used in the Bible. It's philia. We get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's more of a brotherly love. It's a love that you would have for someone that's a close friend. Not necessarily a family member, but it's, it's someone that you like, you like to hang out with. You love them because they love you back. It's a kind of a natural affinity you have with somebody else. Jesus does not use any of these three words when he says love your enemies. You know which word he uses. Agape. Agape. That unconditional love... That's supernatural, not natural like family love, not romantic like eros love, and not even brotherly love like the word philia, but an unconditional, sacrificial, self-giving type of love. Now, we can understand if Jesus said, love your spouse this way, or love your family member this way, or love a good friend this way, but when Jesus says, love your enemies this way, it's confusing. It's counterintuitive. It's, it's, it's radical to the core. And not only that, let's look at the second command. Still there in verse 27. Do good to those who hate you. Do good. Now, love your enemies is more of an attitude. Do good is more of an action. It's got to be backed up with action. You don't just think that you love them. You don't just say that you love them. But you love them with action, not just words. 1 John 3, 17 through 18 kind of captures this idea. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't let just your action, not just, just love with your words, but love with actions. It's very difficult to do good to someone who hates you, especially when they don't deserve that type of love, that type of 
concern. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 19 through 21, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but be overcome evil with good. Dump burning coals on his head. Now, are you supposed to go up and take literally burning coals and dump it on somebody's head? You'd probably make him worse of an enemy if you, if you did that. What's the imagery of this dumping burning coals on somebody's head? It's an ancient type of metaphor of saying this. If you continue to love that person, show kindness to that person, their thought process is going to be over, overcome. They're going to be so overcome with guilt of how bad they're treating you that they're going to be won over in the end. If you just keep killing them with kindness over and over again, they're finally going to give in to your loving them. Do good to those who hate you. Remember back in April, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, when it just started. New York City, which was the epicenter back in April, Franklin Graham's ministry, Samaritan's Purse. They set up 68 field bed hospitals to take care of the patients because the the, the hospitals were being overwhelmed. Do you, you remember that? They were doing good. They were sending doctors and nurses into those areas to help out COVID patients. But here's the problem. A very vocal LGBTQ plus group got upset. And they called Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo to say, we've got to get Samaritan's Purse out of there. Why? Because Samaritan's Purse believes in God's definition of marriage. And they required every person that volunteered for them, doctor, nurse, or whoever, to sign a statement that says this. Okay, Here's the radical statement they had to sign. Are you ready for it? We believe that marriage is exclusively the union of one genetic male and one genetic female. Samaritan's Purse was doing good. And then Franklin Graham says, we're not discriminating based upon patients. We'll take any patient that has COVID. But they were being treated with hostility for doing good. They were being hated for doing good. But they continued to do good in the face of that hostility. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. To everyone, even those that hate you. Okay, so love your enemies. Impossible, radical. Do good to those who hate you. Okay, here's the third one, the third command. Okay, it's there in verse 28. Bless those who curse you. Now, how's this command a little bit different? This involves our words. How we treat people with our words. Do we bless those that curse you with words? Do you say kind words to those that may bring hostility back? How are you blessing people with your words? When they say words to you that are hostile, that are hateful, do you retaliate back with those same type of words? 1 Peter 3.9 Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Bless. For to this you were called that you too may obtain a blessing. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And here's the fourth command. Pray for those who abuse you. Pray. Now, the ESV translates that word abuse you. 
This word can mean physical abuse, but probably more abusive words like slander or assassinating your character with words. Think about what it means to pray for someone who hurts you. When you begin to pray, that that gets to the very heart and soul of who you are. This is where the rubber meets the road when you begin to pray for someone who's hurting you. What are you praying for? Well, first of all, you're praying that God would change your heart towards that person. You're praying that God would change their heart towards you. You're praying for opportunities to do good to them. So this is an opportunity for you to get real with the Lord and be praying. It's a powerful thing to actually begin to pray for your enemies because you're getting serious with your heart. I don't know how many of you have had an enemy that you began praying for and God softened their heart and God softened your heart and there's reconciliation. There's great power in praying for your enemies. Never underestimate what God can do in changing your heart and changing their heart through prayer. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Love your enemies, Jesus tells us. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Well, thank you, Jesus. That's an impossible task. That's a tall order. I don't know how I can do that. Let's just stop and think about the gravity of what he's calling us to do. Remember, this, these are in the present tense. Continually be doing these things on an ongoing basis. Now, to make matters even harder for us, more impossible, Jesus, after he gives these four commands, he gives four illustrations. I'm going to raise the ante and just kind of lay it heavy upon you, listeners, is what Jesus is saying. Here's the, here's the four examples. Okay, so let's look. Verse 29, example number one. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Okay, turn the other cheek. Now, we need to be very careful that we don't misinterpret this, this, this one. This is not an excuse for spousal abuse or for bullying. This is not an excuse for a wife to be beaten by her husband and just keep turning the other cheek because he keeps beating her, or for a bully to keep bullying somebody and, and, and physically harming somebody. The Bible has a lot to say about standing up for justice and standing up for the vulnerable. This is not an excuse for that type of behavior because that's not just sin, it's also a crime. So, even Jesus himself rebuked an official who slapped him on the cheek. Remember that? Jesus himself got on to somebody who slapped him on the cheek. John 18, 22 through 23. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? So he probably hit Jesus on the face. Is that how you answer the high priest? Did Jesus turn the other cheek? Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if I said is right, why do you strike me? I'm innocent. Don't touch me. Is basically what Jesus said. He didn't turn the other cheek. Now, in that ancient culture, probably what it was was more of a backhanded slap like an insult. 
insulting you. Not, not physically popping you on the jaw, but more of an insult. Now, when you're insulted, do you retaliate with more insults? Now, there's another time when Jesus didn't revile or didn't rebuke, didn't retaliate when he's on the cross. 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Key word there, Jesus continued entrusting himself to the Lord. Jesus had every right to protest. He had every right to call down a legion of angels. He had every right, right to mouth off to Pilate and to all these people. But like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, he kept his mouth shut when they reviled him. In essence, he metaphorically turned the other cheek. When insults come, when reviling comes, when, when angry words come, do, are you quick to just spew them back? Or do you just walk away, turn the other cheek? Okay, the second example Jesus gives is about a tunic and a cloak. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now, the cloak was the outer garment. The tunic was like a t-shirt. So if somebody takes your coat, give them your t-shirt also. And you're thinking, now, wait a minute, that's, that's kind of wrong. Jesus is saying, you may need to love somebody so much, you may risk loss of property or possessions, if that were the case. If somebody truly needs help, is the shirt off your back too much to ask? If they're truly in need. Now, we need to be discerning about this. We don't want to enable bad behavior. If there's somebody that has a legitimate need, we should be willing to help them. This does not mean, again, like the other command about abusive relationships, this does not mean that you automatically give to panhandlers or enable a person that's going to go use the money for drugs or you just kind of give your money away without discretion. You need to have some discretion, but there may be somebody in your life that has a legitimate need and it may cost you financially to help them and you need to be okay with that. Not so protective of your stuff. Third, Jesus gives the illustration that we should give to the one who begs. Okay, Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. Now, this is probably more of a cultural issue in Jesus' day because back in Jesus' day there were legitimate beggars. People that had leprosy, people that were disabled, they legitimately could not make any money and they were legitimate beggars. And so Jesus is not talking about freeloaders here or moochers or leeches, people that just kind of take you for what it's worth. Again, there are some legitimate reasons. Remember in Mark 10, uh, the blind man Bartimaeus, he was legitimately a beggar. Deuteronomy 15, 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. There may be legitimate people that are begging because they're legitimately in need. Again, you need to be wise and discerning about this, but you need to be willing to, and I need to be willing to help them when they beg. Okay, what's the fourth example? Lending and never paying you back. Okay, 
Second part of verse 30. From the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. This is not necessarily stealing. This is more about if you, if you lend somebody, something to somebody. Or you, so, so, for example, you lend something to somebody, you expect it to come back in the same condition that you lent it, right? What happens if they bring it back all mangled? What happens if they never bring it back? What happens if you let somebody borrow money and they never pay you back? Christians, we should never charge interest to other Christians. Again, we need to, to understand that we don't want to excuse or enable bad behavior. We need to continue to be discerning here. But here's the principle that I think Jesus is driving home with these four examples. We need to be not so protective of our stuff and be willing to be generous when there's legitimate needs. We need to be giving our heart out to those that are in true, dire straits. And then verse 31, we have the golden rule. And so you wish that others would do to you, do to them. Now, every religious system has a golden rule, but it's, it's in the negative. Jesus puts it in the positive. Now, why is that important? Jesus doesn't just say, don't hate, don't retaliate. He puts it in the positive. Instead, choose to love this way. Choose to act this way. Do this positively the way that you would want others to do it toward you. Now, again, this is impossible, radical. This type of self-giving, self-sacrificial love. Now, Jesus is going to go on and give some more illustrations here. He's going to talk about self-seeking love, the way that, quote, sinners love. And he gives three examples here. Okay, so let's go into verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what, be, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Sinners love those who love them. It, it, sinners don't go out of their way to love those that hate them. They love those that love them back. That's just kind of a natural thing. Okay? What's the second example? If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You do good to me, I'll do good back to you. Tit for tat. Sinners do that. Okay, third example. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Notice Jesus keeps using the word sinners. Sinners lend to sinners. Sinners, sinners, sinners. Who's he talking to? His followers. He's saying, listen, follower of Christ, my follower, Jesus is saying, you're not in that category of sinner." that loves that kind of way. Your love's different. Your love is radical. Your love is transformative. Your love is different. You love differently. Not manipulative, not self-serving, but sacrificial. Again, I want you to feel the weight of how impossible this is. Jesus is just heaping on impossibility after impossibility. Love your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those. Turn the other cheek. Don't expect to be paid back. Give to those that beg. Oh, Jesus, this is way too much to handle. And then if we didn't get it, he kind of just lays it on us again. Okay? Look at verse 35. But... In case you didn't get it the first time, Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. 
Jesus, this is impossible. You're asking me to do the impossible. And then Jesus says, if you do these things, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. You will be like children of God. Now, we need to be careful here. Jesus is not telling us that if we love this way, we'll become children of God and earn our way into heaven. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is if you love this way, it demonstrates you're already a child of God because God's children love this kind of way. God's children show this kind of love because we've already been saved by grace. This was read earlier in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, how do we imitate God as children? Paul tells us, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. Walk in love. Imitate God. Be a child of God. Love this type of way. Again, I want to stress to you how radically impossible it is to love this kind of way. It's not a natural type of love. It's a supernatural, self-giving, sacrificial love, not for people that love you back, but for your enemies and for people that hurt you and people that abuse you and people that insult you. And Jesus, this is way too impossible. So it leaves us with the question, hey, Jesus, where's the hope? If this is impossible, how can I do it? You've laid down the gauntlet, Jesus, on this almost impossible command to love this type of way. Where's the hope, Jesus? And let me give you the answer where the hope is. Where is the hope? Our hope is in the character of the Most High God. Look at how Jesus ends it. You will be sons of the Most High God, for He, the Most High, is kind. To who? The ungrateful and the evil. That's the sum and substance of the gospel message. That our God is merciful and gracious to the ungrateful and to the evil. Think about your life before you were a Christian. Were you ungrateful? And were you evil? Did God have to love you? Was God obligated to love you? What has God done in his amazing love for us? Okay, Jesus is telling us to love our enemies. Jesus is telling us to love those who hate him. What has God done for us? God loved his enemies. God loved his enemies. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were ungodly enemies and Christ died for us because God loved his enemies. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. 
And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You were once alienated and hostile. You hated God, but he's brought you to himself through Jesus. Love your enemies. God loved his enemies. Do good to those who hate you. God has done good to those who hate him. Isaiah 63, 7. I will recount of the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted to us, the great goodness to the house of Israel that he's granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. The goodness he's done to those who hate him. Titus 3, 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Bless those who curse you. God has blessed those who've cursed Him. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. And here's the most important. God did not spare his only son, but has given us Jesus and expected nothing in return. He gave us Jesus and expected nothing in return. We could never pay it back. He didn't just lend us Jesus, he gave us Jesus. A sacrifice once and for all that we can never pay back. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has shown great mercy and love to those that are ungrateful and evil, his enemies. Now you say, okay, that's God. That's God's love towards his enemies. That's God's way of loving. But let me tell you something, Christian. If you've become a child of God, something uniquely powerful has happened to you and has happened to me that gives us the ability to love like that. Very important passage of scripture that I want you to meditate upon this week. Romans 5, 5. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Think about the imagery there. We have hope because God's love has been poured, it's been overflowed into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So here's the point. If God has poured his love into our hearts, we can pour that love back out to others doesn't come from us trying to love other people in our own power, in our own flesh. It can only come from the Holy Spirit, that grace within us. Why does God love us? Answer, because he loves us. Do we deserve it? No. He chooses to love us. Do other people deserve our love? No. But we choose to love them the way that God first loved us. 1 John chapter 4 gives us a lot about loving others. 
and how God has first loved us and gives us the power to love others. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So how do you love? You have to have been born of God. You have to be born again. You have to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The the love of God has been poured into your heart. Then you can love with that type of sacrificial, selfless love. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God first took the initiative to love us. He sent Jesus to die for us. And because Christ died for us when we were his enemies, we can turn around because of what Christ has done and love others with that type of love. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. I said it's the almost impossible command. It is impossible in your flesh. It is impossible by yourself. You and I cannot love this way. But here's the truth. When God's love has been poured into your heart and you're overcome by that love, you can't help but love others that way because it just flows out of you. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Luke 1, 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. If you've been changed by the gospel, if you've been changed by Jesus, if God's love has been poured into your heart, you can do the impossible. You can love your enemies. You can pray for those who hurt you. You can bless and not curse. You can do good to those who hate you. Not because you can do it, but because God, the Holy Spirit, is doing it through you. Because God first loved you. His love is in your heart first. You think about the sinful woman that washed Jesus' feet at the home of the Pharisee. We'll get to that eventually. It's in Luke chapter 7, just the next chapter. But there's an interesting thing that Jesus says at the end of that situation where she is basically just giving herself to Christ. And the Pharisees over there are thinking, what in the world is she doing? Pouring herself out in front of Jesus like this. This is, this is embarrassing. In Luke 7, 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. If you don't feel the tremendous joy of being forgiven much, you will not love much. You'll love little. The only way for you and I to fulfill this impossible command to love is to daily, moment by moment, remind ourselves of how God first loved us. When we think about how God first loved us as his enemy, as those who were dead in our trespasses, as those that did not deserve it, then that love overflows to others. We can do the impossible only because of the Holy Spirit in us. Colossians 3, 12-14 Put on then, like clothing, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, so God's people, what are we to put on as clothing? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, 
above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We must not see loving this way as something that we're forced to do because it's impossible, but something that we're empowered to do because through God, he makes it possible. It's only through Jesus and his grace that we can do this. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What a promise that God's mercies are new every morning. Every day you get a new supply of God's mercies to do the impossible. What's the impossible thing you're called to do? Love your enemies. (laughs) Do good to those who hate you. Bless and not curse. Pray for those who have abused you. Turn the other cheek. Give to those that beg. Be willing to give somebody the shirt off your back. Be sacrificial. Be generous. Do the impossible. And it's only when you remind yourself daily of Romans 5.5. You can only do this because God's love has been poured into your heart. And when God's love has been poured into your heart, it should pour out to others. And you need to daily remind yourself of that love. It's impossible to do this, but with God, all things are possible. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, And we usher in a new year with all new possibilities and all new challenges. So we kind of start afresh. Would we look at this as an opportunity to thank the Lord that he first loved us? That his love has been poured into our hearts. And when we think about his love being poured into our hearts, let that be motivation, let that be grace, let that be power for us to then in turn love others. It's very difficult, it's impossible very hard but with God all things are possible we love others because he first loved us so as we celebrate the Lord's table let's praise Jesus that he first loved us let's go to him in prayer this morning fathers we come to the conclusion of this word to us we we know it's a difficult word Jesus, you did not mince words. You you gave us these very strong, impossible commands. And I think in a way we're supposed to feel the weight of how hard they are, Lord Jesus. Because it goes against our flesh, it goes against our nature, it goes against everything that we would want to do with the way we love. But you just put that great word in there, Lord. The Most High is merciful to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. I'm so thankful, Father, that you have shed your love abroad. You've poured your love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What an awesome thing to just think about, to meditate upon, that the very love of God has been overflowed into our hearts daily through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not to be kept there, but, Lord, for us to pour it back out to others. So as we leave this week, show us how we can love those that are difficult to love, only through your power. 
And Lord, as we take the, the Lord's Supper, as we take communion this morning, let it be a time of reflection where we reflect upon your love for us, a time of joy and celebration for your love for us, a time of worship for your love for us, that we were your enemies. We were the ones that hated you. We cursed you. We expected everything from you without ever doing anything to deserve it. And yet you sent Jesus and never expected to be paid back. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your grace. We are ungrateful. We are evil. But you, the Most High God, are merciful and compassionate. Let us be merciful and compassionate to others that don't deserve our love as we model you, as we imitate you. Help us to walk in love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.